You know, today is uh, one of those Sundays where we want to accomplish a lot. And so, at least for me, every minute's kind of precious. <clears throat> so it would be nice if we could start a little bit earlier. Um, I, I have an important update to give you today. And I'd like to clothe it in the message, so, you know, here goes. <clears throat> uh, I, I wanted to share with you uh, one of my newfound hobbies. For the past year, I've really enjoyed something that as a younger man, I, I used to hate. And I could never understand other people enjoying. But the crazy thing is, like, now, this hobby of mine, I, I love it. So... I don't know if you're taking a look at me and you're thinking it must be weightlifting. It's not. It's not. It's not. I'm talking about jogging. Any, any, any runners in the room? Any runners in the room? <clears throat> a few. Now, I can't, I can't explain the love of jogging. I can't explain it better than to say that runners are strange people who love pain. I started off uh, my running career just, just one mile. I started off one mile. Jared told me that was the number to try out. And so I worked hard at it for 10 months with steady, incremental growth. And today, 10 months later, I am jogging 1.2 miles. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the support. Um, actually, it's more like 3.6 which is really nothing to brag about. It's nothing to brag about. But it does go like this. I've noticed that it's a certain pattern that I employ on the treadmill. During the first mile, I will have my headphones on. And my head is up, and it's a nice steady pace, and I'm listening to a podcast. It's normally kind of funny. And so periodically, I'm laughing. Second mile. My headphones are still on. My head's a little bit downward because I'm staring at the dashboard. And I'm still listening to the funny podcast, but I'm not laughing. The last .63 mile. I have thrown my headphones off my head. I am now a praying man. I am now a man of the cloth, and I'm calling down power from heaven for strength. 3.6 miles later is the most thrilling moment of all. I've been waiting for this moment for the past, like, 40 minutes, where I hit the stop button with a great sense of joy. And I'm gasping for breath, and as I'm leaving the gym, I'm thinking, that was so great, let's do it again next year. You know, honestly, I say, that was so great, I can't wait to do it again. Now, the Apostle Paul, near the end of his life in 2 Timothy, said these famous words. He said, I have fought the good fight. He said, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Today, I want to make the point that our life together as a church should be like this. It should be you're fighting this incredible fight. And now notice that Paul uses a sports illustration. I have finished the race. It's a race. 
I don't know if you guys have entered into a race, but I guarantee you it's kind of like my morning jog. It's like they're sweating and you're fighting and your heart is pounding and you feel like you're not going to make it. But you're doing everything you can, crying out for strength to God because you know you have one race and you want to make it count. And so you're crying out to God to give you strength to finish. And you are single-focused And you're giving it everything you've got. You're leaving it all out on the field. And then you cross the finish line. And then you get to rest. And then you get to fall into the arms of Jesus. And you get to drink the heavenly ice cold Gatorade. You see, um, every Sunday during this series, we're addressing a problem that we have in community And maybe it wouldn't be right for me just to come right out and talk about a problem because really the problem that I'm addressing today is the shadow side of a strength. Let me give you an example. Recently, there was a new family checking out a church, wanted to uh, ask me some questions, and so I talked to them on the phone. And this, um, the, the, the father said, well, what's the strength of your church? What would you say? Uh, I, I know for me, without hesitation, I said, the strength of our church is community. And if you come here, you're going to find a rich church family where people have known each other for decades. And people are going to introduce you not as Mr., but as uncle, and not as Mrs., but as, or Ms., but as auntie. And so it's a family, not program, but a family. And then this person said, well, then, that sounds great. What do you think your weakness is? And I said without hesitation, the weakness is also community as well. Because when you have such a a rich church family experience, there's a shadow side to it. And the shadow side is very easily we can become not God's army. And we can become not these athletes that are running this incredible race together. And it can easily become like A social club. So let me just ask you, have you ever been part of a church community that felt more like a social club? Of course not here. But have you ever felt like it was more like a social club? Please don't get me wrong. In a way we are like a social club. But I think it's undeniable that we're much more than just a social club. That our relationships are deeper and that our mission, this incredible race that we're running together, where the stakes are very, very high so we cannot afford to be a social club or merely a social club. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And I'll show you what not I'm talking about, but what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the mission of our church. Now, from this passage, it's a well-known passage. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's about how Christians are called to be different from other people in society. Christians are called to be different. They're called to be holy. And it is through this quality of being different that Jesus is showing the purpose and the mission that they have in the world. Okay, 
starting in verse 13, Matthew chapter 5. These are the words of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. All right. First observation. Salt is different from meat. I mean, that's... That's not a huge observation, but it's an obvious one, okay? If God is inside you and working in your life, then you are different. We're clear on that, right? People in the Bay Area may do one thing and think a certain way about any given topic. Sex, uh, personal ambition, comfort, what they want from, from life. But you are qualitatively different, So first observation from the text, Saul is different, you are different. Okay, now what I want to do is go through the text and then talk about what this means for us, okay? Now Jesus says, if salt has lost its taste, now this in and of itself, salt that has lost its taste, it's a contradiction. Salt cannot lose its taste. The very inherent property of salt is that it is salty, right? Salt cannot lose its taste. It's kind of like if water in the liquid form can lose its wetness. You're like, water can't lose its wetness, right? Right? You're following me, right? No, but granted, this is not a science lesson. Jesus is not, hey, it's not a science lesson. So what, what, it, what, is, what is the, the point? Well, I will say this. Historically, around the Dead Sea... You can collect salt. All this, these minerals that look like salt. But some of it is not salt. It looks like salt. It's not salt. So you're gathering this material that looks like salt. Some of it's salt. Some of it's not. And so you would, you would apply that to your meal. And you're like, this salt is not very salty. Right? <clears throat> the point is, do not lose your distinctiveness. You are different. You are different. You are holy. In every way, you are different. The way you think, what you do. Okay. <clears throat> now, 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 here's the point with this message. Someone goes, okay, right. Well, why do we need to be different? Like, is there a purpose to being different? And I would say that in this passage... The, the point to being different, it is all leveraged on mission. I don't, do you see that? It's all leveraged on mission. So because it's leveraged on mission and Jesus leveraged it on mission, I'm going to ask three questions from the text. Number one, what is the scope of our mission? Number two, what is the urgency of our mission? Number three, who is responsible? So scope, urgency, Who is responsible? Okay, let's go. First, the scope. Now, I want you to look at two words. Verse 13, you are the salt of the, everyone say with me, earth. Okay, now verse 14, I know we didn't go into this, but you probably know this verse. You are the light of the, and everyone say with me, world. Okay, now, Jesus could have said, you're the salt of Israel. Jesus could have said, you are the light of Jerusalem. He could have. He didn't. I'm just saying that Jesus had 
a mission and a vision for the entire planet. That's my point. But here's the thing. It's not an isolated passage where Jesus gives a global perspective. I would make the case it has always been God's intention from the creation of the world. Right there in Genesis. His heart and his mind is that his glory would extend to the entire world. Even when God said to Adam and Eve, multiply and fill the earth, there it is. In other words, bring my glory to every place on the planet. Abraham was chosen to be a blessing to all the nations. I can go book after book and show you that it has always been from the creation and throughout history, God's intention, God's very heart, that his glory would be extended to the entire planet. It's there, book after book. Okay, so that's the scope of the mission. But if you look in this passage, what about the urgency of the mission? Well, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Let me ask you, what is salt good for? Have you ever wondered that? What is salt, what is the purpose of, what does salt do? What does salt do for you? Thomas Keller would say, that pepper and salt are really different. Thomas Keller would say that salt is a flavor changer. You, you add the pepper on the meal and it actually changes it to be more peppery. I don't know if you knew that. But salt is a flavor enhancer. So you add that to the meal and it doesn't change the meal, but it enhances the quality of the meal. It brings out the true flavor of the meal. So, for example, if you add salt to pizza, it doesn't change the pizza. It makes the pizza more pizza. Amen? <clears throat> it makes the pizza better. The flavors more. In, it brings out the true pizza in the pizza. If you add salt to a burrito, true burrito. If you add salt to a cucumber, what do you get? A more terrible cu cucumber. You are the flavor enhancer of the world. So you're bringing out the true flavor of the world. So church, I charge you to show the world the true flavor of self-giving love in all of your relationships. That's another sermon. But you're here. To, you know what Jesus is like? You know what the cross represents? The self-giving love of God. Do you know what marriage is supposed to sing with the self-giving uh, love of God? Show the world what self-giving love looks like because it is ultimately demonstrated in the cross and in all your relationships, even with strangers, you are demonstrating that. But here's the second purpose of, uh, of salt. Um, Irene, can you go ahead and, and play the video? Now, while, while, while Irene is playing this video... Um, it's going to take a little bit, but the video is of a whole chicken, and I, I call the video Chicken versus Time, okay? So, so this is what happens to a chicken that is not preserved with salt, all right? Salt is a preserving agent, and I, I think um, a person in the ancient world would salt their meat, they would dry their meat, and the meat would be preserved and saved and eaten at a later time. So this is a video of meat that is not salted and not dried. And this is the urgency of our mission. 
those things are maggots, by the way. Now, as you're watching this, these are the words I want you to hear. What is the urgency of our mission? All right, before anyone pukes, I think we should stop the video. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he was saying that the, the Christian, by your message, by your way of life, you're preserving a world that would otherwise go putrid. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your mission is that important? Um, today, 1.5 billion people have never heard the name of Christ. And as far as we know, when they perish, they will perish eternally. Right now, over a billion people live and die in desperate poverty. Desperate poverty. Thousands, thousands die of hunger-related and preventable conditions. Preventable because people like you and I can actually prevent those conditions. So there's thousands who live in comfort, and then there's a billion that are perishing. Right now, pornography is destroying the lives of millions of people. Especially young men, shaping how they see and how they will future relate to women. Now look, I can go on. This is not fun, but these are realities. I could go on and on. Do you really think that this mission is urgent? Do, 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 you, do you think about what's at stake? Is this life, and, life or death? Is this mission of Christ urgent? So what is the scope of the mission? And Jesus says, the entire world. What is the urgency of the mission? The world is going this way towards putrid, rot, and maggots. And so we need the gospel. We need the gospel. We need the gospel. We need the gospel. Okay, last point. Who's responsible? Who's responsible? Who's responsible for giving this message to the world? Now, I I think a lot of us don't like to think that we're responsible. I I think we'll we'll say things like, you know, don't look at us. Look at Jesus. You know, don't put too much on the church. You have Jesus. And I just want you to know, I agree with that wholeheartedly, theologically, that people and Christians and the church keep failing us. And we should ultimately put all of our hope on Jesus. It's just that in this passage, Jesus did not say, I am the salt of the earth. I'm just saying that in this passage, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And so the focus seems to be on you and the responsibility seems to be yours. That the way that Jesus brings hope to the world is through the gospel, but he sends his people. So you are his witnesses, and you are the agents of change. And if anyone is going to look at the reality of the existence of Jesus, in other words, they will first be looking at you. Ultimately, 
at Jesus, but the first glimpse of this amazing message will be you. All right, so quick review. What is the scope of our mission? The entire world. What is the urgency of our mission? The world, like a piece of meat, is heading towards putrid rot, and it needs the preservation of the gospel of Christ. And so who's responsible to bring that to the world? You, the church, you and I are responsible for that. So we're much more than a social club. And we have a mission, and lives are at stake, and eternity for many people are at stake, and we have a mission. Several years ago, I was on an airplane to Taiwan. It was my mother's 70th birthday wish that her two sons would accompany her to the motherland. And so um, on this plane, I had a dream. I, I imagine some of you guys dream pretty often and you remember your dreams, I will say for myself, I, I, I never dream, I never remember my dreams, I never wake up from a dream and go, I think God just spoke to me. But on this plane ride, I did. And I woke up from the dream, and I was like 99% sure that God had just spoken to me. And this is... Uh, what I dreamed about, I, I saw a beautiful mountain range and a valley. And it was lush and it was green and I heard God say to me, I've called you to be the lead pastor at CLC for 11 years. And then God um, gave a blessing to our church. And um, in 2021, I, I will have led Christian Layman Church as lead pastor for 11 years. So in 2021, during the summer, my time as lead pastor will be coming to a close. So I have still two more years to run my race here and to continue in my role as lead pastor. So I'm, I'm going to be around, okay? Um, and I know there's, there's more to say about this logistically, and so after church today, there's going to be a Q&A, and the, the board and I are going to do our very best to answer um, your questions to the best of our ability. <clears throat> but after this dream, I started to ask God, like, so then what's next? What's next? Um, just, just being honest, my, my father passed away at age 45, so the first thing that went through my mind is like, Lord, am I going to die? Um, that was honestly what I was um, talking to God about. And, and during this time, our church was going through the, the book written by David Platt called Ra Radical. And I, I, was, I was preparing to give a message on chapter 7, so I thought, well, I, sh I better read it. And so I read it, and uh, in this chapter, David Platt kind of goes, um, there's 1.5 billion people who have never heard the name of Christ, and there's probably not a more important question for the church to be asking than what happens to those 1.5 billion people after they die. 
And so here is David Platt with his three advanced degrees in, from seminary. And he's applying all of his hermeneutical skill towards interpreting the book of Romans. And to the best of his, his ability, the conclusion that he arrives at is that the 1.5 billion, without ever hearing the name of Jesus, when they perish, will perish eternally. And when they die, they will be going to hell. And I, I have to tell you that I couldn't sleep that night. I was crushed. And there was something inside me that just felt like um, my prayers started to change. I, I, I think my prayer when it came to world mission, it, it always used to be like, God, if you make it undeniably clear to me, okay, I'll go. And then my prayer started to change to, Lord, here I am. Send me. There is a conviction that life is short and that eternity is really, really long. And that if there are 1.5 billion perishing and your strategy, God, is to send people, then here I am. How about me? Um, it, it's kind of weird how I have really grown to care about this. And... Um, it's funny because when I came to Lehman 20 years ago, I can still remember that Sunday. It was a mission Sunday. And I was totally new to the church. And our missions director got up here and said, well, today is mission Sunday. And I got to be honest with you. I, 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 I let out this like inward groan. Like, oh, I should have come on a different Sunday. I'm not proud of that. But that's just really what happened. Because missions, for me, was something that I know I should care about, but honestly, I didn't really care that much about it. So then what happened to me? Um, it's, it's hard to explain. I, I guess it was a process. For me, it started with just being blown away by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where it always starts. So the news that Jesus Christ stepped down to heaven and would die for a sinner like me just floored me. And I was blown away by God's amazing grace. Uh, it started with grace, knowing the unmerited favor of God. And, it, and so I just started to fall in love with Jesus. Right? There's nothing better, there's nothing the world has to offer that can compare to this. I just started to fall in love with Jesus. To the point where it's like, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I feel like the more that you care about someone, the more you care about the things that they care about. And I realized that God cares about extending his glory around the world. God cares about all forms of human suffering, but especially eternal suffering. And so if those 1.5 billion have never had a chance to hear, then Lord, how about me? How about my family? Now during this time, God started to speak to Raina, and after service we'll have a time to hear Raina's story. But here is my application to all of you. 
I, I do want you to know that with this message, I, I'm not saying that all of you should go overseas. That, that was not the, the, the point. Uh, actually, I know that David Platt in his book Radical seems to lean that way, that I'm not as radical as David Platt. I would say there are incredible needs right here in the Bay Area. We all know loved ones, mom and dad, family members, co-workers, classmates, who do not know Christ. And if they perish, they perish eternally. There is urgency right here in the Bay Area. America knows of loneliness and disconnectedness that is so great and so painful and not experienced in other parts of the world. The world may have poverty of economy, but we have poverty of community. And so in this world that's rotting, in this world that doesn't know the hope of Christ, I think the appropriate prayer is, Lord, here I am. Send me. We have a social justice team that's about to start, in fact, in June. In fact, Kristen is doing some recruiting What if we started to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. We're going to do an eye screening in the inner city, and we could sure use some help. First, we could use people to volunteer for at least one day to serve. It would really be cool if people um, in our church who have administrative gifts, I mean, we could really use your help on the core planning team. And so it's another opportunity for us to say, Lord, here we are. Send me. In fact, we have about three people in our church that are preparing for the mission field. And what if we as a church said, Lord, here we are. Here's our resources. Send us to be great senders. There is urgency in the mission of God right here in the Bay Area. I I have one last story that I wanted to share with you. Um, I I was in Tijuana with my my middle son, Christopher. And, um, you know, all weekend long, I was just kind of weepy. It it was just like, you know, I I don't know if you've been to Tijuana on our short-term mission trip, but there's like quotes on the wall, and it's it's more educational than it is actually building um, a home. And so it, it just all weekend, I felt this incredible connection to God. But it was during the time when there was a domestic terror attack. And so, um, and so I remember we're eating lunch, and it was like, oh, amazing tacos, and we're eating lunch. And Eddie, the director, says, you guys better hurry up and go, or else you're going to miss the flight. And so we're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so we, we, we head out uh, for the border patrol from, from, from TJ to get back into the States, and our flight was in San Diego, so we're, we're, we're trying, we're hurrying to make it, and then we have this realization, I don't think we're going to make it, and so we're waiting in line, and it's funny, because the other minivan, their AC broke down, and so they, they like, kind of, like, stopped the car, and they got out for, like, a leisurely stroll, right, so they're walking by us, we're like, well, I don't think we're going to make our flight, I don't think we're going to make our flight, and then, so Gordon is, like, driving our minivan, and, and Gordon is, like, you know, he's, he's an amazing guy, responsible guy, but he is very aggressive in his driving. 
anyway, there's a, there's, well, when in Mexico, so anyway, there's a line that opens up. And Gordon swerves, and he's like really aggressive, and he gets there first in line, right? And so I'm like, you know, we actually might make our flight. Okay, so we, 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 we hurry all the way to the, to the, the airport, and, and, and Gordon is like, you know, get out of the car, go, 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 right? And so we're like, we're, we're like running, and they, we, 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 I, I, I put the passport through, green light, you know, my son, green light. But even people on our van were not getting their passports, like, checked through. So I was like, red light. And I'm standing there, and Gordon's like, go, go, go. I'm like, okay, okay. So we're like, going, right? I have Christopher. Now, here's the thing. We're like running. We get there, and right when they get there, they're boarding. So I'm like, hey, Christopher, this is great because they were boarding with families with young kids first. So not only did I get on the plane, but I was like one of the first to get on the plane, right? So there I am, and it's like, Christopher, I'm so glad you came. And so anyway, we're, we're, we're sitting down in the seat. And then I sat down, I was like, whoo, breathing a sigh of relief, like, in a matter of hours, I'm going to see my beloved wife, I'm going to have, a, like, a warm shower, I'm gonna, I, want, I want to eat some pho, you know, I, I, I just want some different food. And I'm like, oh, man, it's going to be great. And I sat there, and all of a sudden, I felt something that I wasn't expecting to feel. I felt shame, because I'm a pastor. And here I am on the plane, saved, and there's people on my team that probably aren't even going to make it. But I'm okay. I'm saved. I got on board. And so I was sitting there, and I felt like, man, and there was like a voice like, what kind of pastor are you? You should shame on you, right? And I, 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 can, I swear to you, at that moment, it was the voice of God saying to me, that won't be your fate. You're not going to be like this pastor on the plane, so thankful that you were saved. You're going to be like Gordon and Amy on the front lines, helping people get in. And I just started to weep, you know. And, and now I look back, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like 98% sure it was from God because it was so encouraging. Like the voice of Satan is like, shame on you. And the voice of God is like, that's not going to be your fate. I have something far more honorable prepared for you. And I just started to weep and weep and weep. And the goodness of God just was so clear to me. Church, I charge you to fight the good fight. We are not just a social club. We are an army of Christ with a very urgent mission. We are in a race. Life is short. And the mission is great. Don't be like Gideon who said, I'll do it, God, if you make it really, really, really clear to me. Be like Isaiah who said, here I am, send me. Run your race like the jogger on the treadmill who is going strong for the Lord, looking at the dashboard saying, I can't wait, I can't wait, to hit the red button and to fall into the arms of Christ and enjoy the heavenly Gatorade. Church, let's fight the good fight together. Also, I, I still have two more years. We're going to be running that race together. Let's run it for the glory of God.
Now I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come forward. And I'm going to invite Bruce to come up here with me. And we're going to enter into a time of prayer where first, I'd like to pray for you. And then I'd like to give you a few moments for you to pray as well. I want to encourage you that when it's your turn to pray out loud, that you would pray in your own voice, that you would pray in a volume that's natural and comfortable for you. But first, I'd like to pray for you, and then I'm going to guide you in a time of prayer, bringing some of the needs of the church before you, and then inviting you to, to go ahead and pray. So at this point, can I have you all just stand up? And if after you stand up, you honestly just feel more comfortable sitting down, then you can go ahead and sit down. But let's just all start um, standing. And I, I just want to pray for you. Um, dear Father God, I just want to pray for our church family. And I just thank you for the riches of your grace that are inside the community. We do have a rich community. And uh, you, um, the Trinity of God, model that for us so beautifully. And so thank you for the joys of a rich church family. But, but Father, we are not just a community. We are not just a social club. We are an army, and we have a race to run. We have a mission that is critical, and the stakes are staggering. So I pray that we would have our eyes on the world. We would have our eyes on the local community. I pray that we would open our eyes to the urgency that is here. Father, you have an incredible, beautiful gospel, a message that has changed our lives and holds potential to change the lives of countless others. Here we are, send us. Here I am, send me. And now, church, I would just invite you, I would just remind you first of the grace of Jesus. The very first missionary was Jesus Christ himself, who emptied everything to become a human being. And if that wasn't enough, he emptied himself and died on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. Look at Jesus. Look at that grace. Be blown away by that grace. And now that you are saved and you look at a world that is perishing, I want you in your heart just to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. I don't have much to offer. I feel like I have five loaves and two fish. But here I am, send me. How about me? Father, I just want to pray for your church. We have a collective mission, but we also have an individual mission. I pray that you would be revealing to our hearts the way that you've wired us 
our passions and personalities, what it is that we truly, truly care about in the cause of Christ. And may that become more and more clear as we pray to you, as we have a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. And we do pray that in Jesus' name. And